Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Let's get it started in here. And the bass keeps running, running, and running. What's up, everybody? This is the opening line brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. We're going to be putting money in your pockets and smiles across your faces. So let's get started and enjoy the new episode. We got five minutes for us to What's up, what's up everybody? Welcome to the opening line. We are your hosts, Wits and Roz. Today we have a very special guest joining the show. She has won multiple gold medals, has set world records. She's a survivor and fighter with an incredibly inspirational story. She's the only female bilateral amputee to complete both a half and full marathon. We are super excited to welcome on Jamie Marseille. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic. Thanks, Ethan. How's it going? It's good. I was, let me tell you, I was super nervous about the introduction. I mean, it has been <laughs> awesome researching you this week, and there are just so many great accomplishments and things that you have done, so I did not want to botch that at all. So I'm hoping I didn't. I think that went pretty well. I mean, I'll leave that up to you, obviously, for the final say. I think you nailed it, and you did it with great vocabulary. It was concise and to the point, and then it leaves me a little window of opportunity to share with your audience who I am and what I'm about. I love that. My mother's an English teacher, so she will definitely appreciate those the words you just used there for me. Um, so you've had a busy last 24 hours. Terry uh, told <laughs> us you were at the, the ESPYs last night, something me and Wits hope to get to at one point in our life. Uh, we just kind of want to know a little bit about the experience as a whole. I mean, how was the red carpet? How was the show? If you could give us a little detail about that. Yeah, it was um, for sure life-changing. I mean, it still takes me breathless. As you can see, I'm rumbling, fumbling over my speech. But uh, I've had the fortunate opportunity. I've been to, I think, five SPs before. And I've been invited by Eli Wolf, who is one of the founders and the supporters of the original award that went into the different categories for the athletes with disabilities, the adaptive categories. Mm -hmm. And so I've gone with via him through my girlfriend, Sarah Reinertson who's also an amputee iron woman champion and it's been great we've had such a good time gone to the after party etc but that's where i gotta stop because last night i mean it, it takes my breath away being a part of the red carpet and being able to share my story at such a, a higher bigger platform was just incredible and you know rubbing shoulders with these ginormous athletes i mean (laughs) i'm not that big you know maybe five three you know maybe a buck 15 give or take and um they're just huge but they're also so warm and so welcoming and you see the crowd because i had fantastic seats through my pr firm eag sports they really took care of me the last 48 hours but you see these these young boys with their dads on commercial break trying to get autographs and just and all the athletes are warm and welcoming to their fans and it it just as you can hear from the tone in my voice it was just incredible and I'll relish in every moment that my husband and I got to share with the evening itself. Yeah and Jamie that sounds like such a great experience you know seeing such a big stage with all the athletes and speaking of all the athletes that were there um, 
Do you have a favorite athlete that you've met so far over the past couple of years or anybody that's you know really stood out to you? Yeah, Drew Brees is, I've met him on multiple avenues. I met him when I was able to speak to the New England Patriots and the New Orleans Saints back in 2016 was when I was a guest on Eric LeGrand's Mission Possible series. And so I met Drew then, and he's just this incredible, just real dad, first and foremost, and then father and husband. And so I met him him then and then through some nonprofit work I do with the Challenge Athletes Foundation I also met him because his football league FNA or FNA um, football in America it is a flag football organization and they have a few org- uh, places in San Diego and in New Orleans of course but I went and spoke for the challenge athletes there so I've really got to meet Drew at different avenues and so I'm not really starstruck and I never left to invade privacy but I did last night I walked up on a commercial break I knew Drew and his wife Brittany were in the front row with their three boys and I went and said hi and they were both, even Brittany was so warm and welcoming that I came over and said hi. And, and those two minutes, it just, it shows you. I mean, he's just, he, he exemplifies what it means to be a sportsman. So I'm honored to call him a friend, a personal friend. And and yeah, and, and even the athletes I just met for the first time, like John Jones, an MMA fighter, was so warm and welcoming. And it just, uh, it just was great to listen to what the power can do, the power of sport can do for so many. I'm glad you chose Drew Brees because to me, he was one of the many winners last night. I loved his speech. It was absolutely yes. incredible. Kind of went off of him winning the award and just was given all these great graces to like everybody. Like you said, his wife, his children, the teammates, yeah. the other players in the NFL. It was amazing to see. And one of these moments, so every year, and you said you've been to multiple ESPYs. So whenever they give out the Jimmy V Award, I, I'm tearing up almost instantly. And they, You have to. Yeah, right. right. They're like the most amazing stories. So I was curious about that moment last night with Rob Mendez and kind of your reaction to his speech as well as just the entire award as a whole. I just kind of want to hear because I know how impactful that award is for the ESPYs. I mean, I really wanted to get a chance to speak with him towards the end. We were walking out and he was just surrounded by many people. And like I said, I'm not one to invade space. And But he's just, just being in the presence of that man, the power and the love and the knowledge and the resiliency that he's been able to do with his own personal journey is, is life life-changing so it was really awesome he exemplifies what the jimmy v award is and what it means so he's definitely a true honoree in receiving that accolade last night yeah i've had like an entire week of being inspired i mean with the espies last night and then doing a lot of my research on you it's just been inspiration after inspiration and i kind of wanted to get into your story i know you tell your story often and a lot but i i'd love to hear it from you directly and and how much do you want to tell of it because we we've got all the accolades we're going to go through and check on with you but i would love to hear kind of your story and how you got to marathon running and everything else that came um recently in your life yeah thank you for asking because uh i'm very proud i turned 50 last november and so i like to think i wear, you know i wear that with a badge of honor and courage because the scars the wrinkles it's all made me who i am which i believe is such a strong woman and and i've been able to persevere through through, through so much but um for me my life changed at the age of 19 31 years ago i was driving home from a ski trip and we were in New Mexico at the time and driving back to the Phoenix area in Arizona. 
And my girlfriend and I knew we got lost after we had a couple hours after we were on the road and we stopped to get directions and they did not have a map. And first thing I remind people is this was 1988. So if you think your cell phone didn't get service now, um, <laughs> if, if anyone had a cell phone, it was the size of a tennis shoe and you for sure were not getting service in the White Mountains in Arizona. Right. So, you know, and humor, you know, through my life, humor has saved me on multiple occasions. So I definitely laugh sometimes about getting lost and this is where my life is taken. But um, yeah, so we stopped and he did not have a map and he told us where we were. And we found out when we crossed the border from New Mexico back to Arizona, we wound up going southeast instead of southwest. So we kind of backtracked a little bit. And my girlfriend had to work that day. It was December 23rd, 1987. So right before the holidays. So she was a little stressed and, you know, we knew we were lost. So the gentleman explained to us to take a back route and we were going to be behind the Sunrise Ski Resort, which is a resort in northern Arizona. I knew about it. I had been there. And that's what we did. We left the gas station and we had a small uh, mini blazer at the time. And to get into four wheel drive, you had to get out and lock the tires and adjust them. And on the way, when this trip first started on the 19th of December, we had already done that. So we'd been driving through, driving through a storm, got out, put the car in four-wheel drive, no problem. So we started on this road, and the same thing happened. A storm started, and we got out, put the car in four-wheel drive. And unfortunately, within maybe another hour or so, it was probably early afternoon, we hit a snowbank. And our car kind of slid to the road, a little bit on the road, which we found out later. And it stalled and wouldn't move. So Lisa and I jumped out. We tried to dig our car out, do everything we could, rock it back and forth. It wasn't moving. So we stayed in the car because, like I said, four days earlier, we put the car in four-wheel drives, and we had actually seen snow plows that were moving snow on the roads, on the freeways. So we thought someone was going to be around. But we also, at that point, didn't really use the engine a lot because we wanted to save our gas when we got plowed out. Mm -hmm. And the next morning on the 24th of December, we woke up, and the battery was dead. And the car was not going anywhere. And the storm was still horrendous. And finally on the, let's see, 23, on the 26th, that Saturday, after four days, the storm stopped. So we said, we better get out of here. So we left the car, put on all our clothes, snow gear over it. And we hadn't eaten or drinking anything in those four days, except um, we had, uh, yeah, at that point, we had found a Diet Pepsi soda can. And we scraped it open and ate some of the ice. But other than that, besides eating a, a cinnamon roll on the first day, we had nothing. So we left, and I'm very bad with feet and yards and <laughs> kind of funny because I am a teacher. <laughs> I couldn't even guess how far we got, but we didn't get far. I don't know, maybe 100 yards if even not. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to think, give or take, maybe 50 yards. And Lisa collapsed in the snow. And so we went back to the car, and we both were frustrated and concerned. But at that point, we were now able to gather snow and melt it for ice, which is something we didn't even think about doing because it had been snowing. And we also didn't think about doing this because when we first ate the snow, it made it much more difficult on our system to turn it into a liquid. So this part of science, I totally get. So living in the car, we start eating snow that fourth day, and we're still thirsty. It's not working. Why isn't it working? Well, maybe we can melt it. And so we did. We, you know, being young girls traveling, we had makeup containers, hairspray tops. We got everything we could, and we were able to connect, collect snow and melt it on the dashboard. Because even though we were in the White Mountains and it was 10 degrees outside, at nighttime it was below zero, it was freezing, the sun and the windshield created this amazing heat lamp. 
And that was one of the first tests that survived, that helped us survive. And that's what we did for the next seven days is we melt snow and we drink the water. And then God willing and God blessing me in all my life, uh, Jake and his father, Mike Estes, showed up on January 2nd, 1988. They were on snowmobiles and they were locals in the area and they came upon our car and they saved me and Lisa. They saved our life. And that's a moment in time that I'll never forget. And I'll always be able to hold on to. I joke that my memory stinks sometimes. It takes a while to remember what I did yesterday. But days like that, the day my life was saved, I can close my eyes and I can feel it like it happened just yesterday. Wow. Yeah, and Jamie, that is, um, you know, such an inspirational story that you've gotten to, you know, where you're at today after such a traumatic event like that. And, you know, I was thinking, what were some of the thoughts you know, going through your mind during, you know, those first four days and then, you know, the next seven after that before you finally saw, um, you know, Yesta's family, what, what was going through your mind at that point? Yeah, um, well, Elisa at the time was my boyfriend's sister. So I had been dating her, her brother, Mike, for about a year. So I always knew her as the younger sister. So we actually spent a lot of time getting to know each other. And ironically, all of us, which Mike and I never discovered, we were born at the same hospital in Niles, Illinois, years ago. So um, so we, we talked about life. We talked about family. Um, we both were pretty mad that the gas station attendant gave us these directions. And we wound up getting lost, uh, you know, or stuck on this road. We didn't know at the time we were lost. Um, and that was pretty much the first few days. And then on the fourth day, after we tried to leave the car, that day was pretty depressing. Lisa, like, I don't know if I had mentioned, she did get a bloody nose when we went back to the car. And when we had to stay there, we just felt like we were stuck, you know, there was, and we couldn't see anything. It was this vast whiteness of nothing. And, um, and then that second week though, with the sun shining, we did hear noises and we did see helicopter crafts at times. And that gave us hope. And Lisa was able to actually scramble on the car and jump up and down, even though no one ever saw us. But her and I have talked quite a bit about it. She had a journal that she wrote in each day. And as the days dragged on, her writing and her words became smaller and smaller till almost nothing. And I think the last two, two or three days, it was real quiet. And we just kind of went through the motions of staying alive. Um, but I have to say, you know, when people ask, did you see death? Did you go down the corridor? And, you know, what's your spiritual side? Um, I really felt in my heart that I would always see my parents and my grandparents again. Um, and my brother didn't come to mind. And, my, and I've come from a very, very close family, mm-hmm. aunts and uncles extended. And But for some reason, my parents and my grandparents were always in the forefront. There was always something pulling at my heartstrings that I would see them again. And when I did see them, I was so angry at all of them for not finding me. But of course, that was just, you know, my soul, my heart, everything crushing from the reality of what I'd been through and the fact that I'm now hugging my family. Yeah, I, I was going to say, going through something like that, which I've never experienced and Xander has never, and actually the majority of the world can't say they've experienced, it, I can only imagine the afterthought when you've been rescued and the, the coming days after that. So I'm curious... At which point did it start to click that marathon running was going to almost be oh. this pathway that that'll like help or e- ease the next step of your life? Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, uh, that was um, like 35 plus years, uh, you know, um, give or take. Uh, 
so basically when I first lost my legs, I was a stubborn kind of punky 19 year old kid who had a lot of attitude and the fact that they told me that I needed to exercise after my accident was like, yeah, no. I'm like, what are you talking about? I had never exercised before. I cheated myself in PE all along. And I, I mean, I, I, it's embarrassing as part of my story, but it's made me who I am today. And I did. I, I started exercising and I loved it. But I never thought about running until when I moved to California. So at that point, I was about 28, 29 years old. And I actually started running with the United States Paralympic team. And that was great. And it went well. And I never went to a Paralympic game, though. So after about four years, I switched to distance running. And that's when I started running half marathons. And then I got married, had kids. And again, life is just incredible. I'm really feeling strong. And one of my good friends, uh, Tim Weidenkeller, who is an Ironman uh, participant. So he's a little psycho. I don't know if you guys all know what Ironman is. Um, <laughs> We have a friend's dad who do, who does them, and he 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 looks like Mister Clean and runs the Ironman. It's it's oh absolutely insane. It is insane. I mean, it's I mean, you know, top athletes, you know, they're doing it in what seven eight hours. But my adaptive friends, they're out there for twelve, fifteen, seven, and I'm just like, forget it. You know, give me seven ish for a marathon, and I'm good. But um, so Tim, in the healthy spirit of competition you know, excuse my French was kind of blowing me. You know what? Like, you know, I'm tired of you saying you're the only one to run a half marathon. You got to step it up. And this was like 2014. You know, you really need to step up. You should run a marathon. And I was like, oh, great. You know, now he's put the fire under me and I, I got to run with it. And, um, yeah. So from my work with the challenge athletes foundation, I became really close with a few of the survivors from the bombing in Boston so Celeste Corcoran is a really good friend of mine and Jessica Kensky and Patrick Downs, her husband, are also close friends. And that's what Tim and I decided he was going to be my guide and I was going to run the Boston Marathon in honor of the survivors. But and I also knew – oh, go ahead. Well, I was just, and isn't it true you had to run, or qualify with the Chicago Marathon to run the Boston Marathon? Interesting. That's where I was going, Ethan. Um, so yes and no. I'm lucky that I have a lot of great connections in the adaptive running world. I could have gotten into Boston without really, run, you know, it, it would have been okay. But for me and who I am and what I represent, I needed to run a marathon before I tackle Boston. So you're exactly correct. So I did. I ran Chicago first, which was great because I have so much family there from before I moved to Arizona at a young age. And, um, and it was a great race because it was flat. It was nothing like Boston. Right. And, um, yeah, I ran Chicago October of 2015, and I finished Boston in April of 2016. That's incredible. Yeah, Thanks. so, Jamie, can you tell us a little bit what it's like actually running a marathon? Because I know Roz and I were, were not big runners. Usually uh, did it for punishment in football and baseball practice. But I know that running a marathon has got to be – you know, it's one of the ultimate feats out there. Um, and especially with what you've done in your career, you know, can you take us through what it's like, you know, the first few miles and then, you know, finishing it off? What was that like for you the first time you ran the Chicago Marathon? You know, the first thing is, it, to me, the training and the mental fortitude and holding on to your, your own personal grit and perseverance is, is what's going to make or break you. Because if you go into it, even if, the physical training might be lacking. If you go into it mentally strong, you're going to be able to finish what you accomplished. And, and for me, there's always so many different facets because with my running prosthetics, they're, they can be quite slippery. Um, I could get skin rashes, abrasions. So it's a lot of thinking ahead and being prepared for whatever the terrain has to offer. 
And um, so, yeah, going into Chicago, my training was tight. I had done a lot of long runs, but I also really did a lot of cross training. So not what you would think is CrossFit. I mean, some CrossFit exercises, but not that end all. And I really only ran two to three times a week. And for me, that kept my limbs strong, my body strong. And then it really gave me a chance because all my exercise was a lot of cardio mixed in with core training and strengthening. And and that really made Chicago. I wanted to run it in 6.30 and I did it in 6.27. So, um, and I stopped a lot. So if I calculated my run time, it's going to be different because mm-hmm. I get moisture in my prosthetics. Um, the liners that I wear against my skin need to be changed. And I'm one, like, if I'm feeling a even the most minor blister coming or any abrasion, I'm going to stop and I'm going to, I've stopped on the curb on the streets in Chicago next to a cop because I'm like, I got water and I always run with towels. So, you know, it's a big learning curve to see how long I can stay out there and what I can do. And, um, and then unfortunately for Boston, I had a lot of prosthetic issues. I didn't have the training behind me that I wanted, but the cool thing is I took my time And I soaked in every moment of the Boston Marathon with the crowd and the history. And another memory that I have in my life that I can still feel, I mean, walking up Heartbreak Hill and high-fiving, I mean, hundreds of people that day in so many different directions. So each marathon for me had such a strong purpose and a great way of just pushing my own mental block, my own mental fears. How far can I do it? And I did it. Yeah, I, I wanted to, you alluded to this a little bit earlier about the Boston Marathon. I just watched a video earlier this week of you crossing the finish line and embracing some of the survivors from the Boston bombings. And I just kind of wanted to know the impact that had on you instantly and then where that's gone moving forward. I know you're an ambassador for the Challenge Athlete Foundation. Um, and if you want to go into that at all, that would be super awesome as well. But yeah, it's kind of a two-part question here. Awesome moment there at the end of the Boston Marathon. Yeah, thank you. Um, So I ran into the arms of Celeste Corcoran. Excuse me. So Celeste is one of the survivors of the bombing in Boston. She actually lost both her limbs, one above the knee and one below the knee. And her daughter, Sydney, who is now 21, also had her femoral artery cut at the time. So, um, I mean, the first and foremost is my relationship with Challenge Athletes has been 20 years strong. They're an incredible foundation that gives back and helps amputees, people with any kind of physical challenges, get back in the game. Whether you want to be a Paralympic athlete or whether you're a new amputee at 40 years old and you want to run around with your kids, you know, that's the mission of foundation of the challenge athletes is to provide grants and mentor support and a difference for so many people with adaptive circumstances. And they have a program called, yeah. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that's amazing. Yeah, they're yeah, and they've been around over. It's been over. I think they're 25 years, and they've raised triple-digit millions that they've been able to give back. And so, one of their programs is called the Project Next program. And after Celeste lost her legs in 2013, they partnered us up. I was Celeste's mentor. And I have to say, I've mentored quite a few women in the world. And and sometimes, you know, it goes deeper, and you form a great friendship. But it's kind of like. Oh, hey, um, you know, I really like the Jets. You really like the Jets. Let's be BFFs. You know, and then sometimes when you dig deeper, there's not, it's okay that there's not more to that. And it's okay. I, like I said, I still have other friendships, but um, man, there's something about Celeste and I. Um, she came into my life at such a perfect time. And, you know, we laugh. She's got a daughter named Sydney who's 21, and I have a daughter named Sydney who's 13. 
So, um, you know, it's not stuff you can make up. And, um, and so, yeah, when I decided to run Boston, it was really in her honor and my friend Jessica, who wound up going back and having a second amputation to become a double amputee. And, uh, and, you know, me personally, I've been fighting some cancer stuff the last almost three years and having Celeste by my side has been such a blessing. I mean, she's family. Um, I mean, she is absolute family and it's been great because her husband and my husband have their own friendship which is really special because as caregivers and coming from different angles, they have so much to share and they need a shoulder to lean on because we're always leaning on them. So, um, so that's one of, I think one of the most special moments for me from the Boston marathon is really falling into her arms and, and knowing I did it for her and the other survivors in the city, you know, to show how strong the city of Boston is and the grit that they exemplify by just being Boston strong. Absolutely. And like I said, it was incredible. And I definitely got emotional. If we, if there was a theme of my story today, so I'm just an emotional, emotional man. It was, it was really <laughs> something to see. I, I was curious. I know you've had two bouts with breast cancer. I was mm-hmm. curious if there is any marathon goals moving forward, um, what the fighting with cancer has done in between that time and what your kind of next goals are moving forward. Yeah. So, um, like you said, uh, fight, I've been fighting cancer for since October of 2016 and knock on wood in my eyes and in my feeling, I know that I've been very fortunate that I've never been sick. Uh, I did choose to have some surgery in uh, December of 2016 and that was probably the hardest time, but I've had quite a bit of integrative treatment and a lot of healthy vitamin C IVs and different um, holistic approach that has definitely supported the Western way of the radiation and the chemotherapy that I just started. But I think the biggest thing for me is when I was diagnosed the second time, immediately it goes to stage four because there is some activity in my bones and the doctors just basically create fear and death. And my husband and I weren't having it. It's like I said, I go to the gym. I'm active. I've worked on my mental space. I've worked on my compassionate side. I've, I've really worked on myself in this cancer journey. And I'm not going to let someone dictate me that, oh, you're stage four and it metastasized in your body. And now you got to think about death. If I don't want to think about death, I'm going to think about living every single day. And from that diagnosis, my husband and I sat down and said, there's so many people out there that don't have each other like we do. And they don't have hope. You know, they go to their doctor and they get these diagnoses and and they're missing that that fraction of hope because there are so many people that go through radical remissions, remissions in any way, shape and form all the time. So I'm going to be one of them. I mean, it's going to take a while. I mean, this is it's funny you say about a marathon because I don't know when I'll physically run another one if I will. But I know my life is a marathon and it's not a sprint. And I'm here till the end. So, um, but as I was saying, my husband and I are so proud because we've been able to set up a, an official 501c3 charity, Jamie Marseille Warriors with Hope. And to this date, we have raised, we're almost at a hundred thousand dollars, um, just in the last less than two years. And we've been able to provide support in the forms of financial aid, mentorship, friendship, peer guidance to over 25 families. And we're still counting. So I know that, you know, I'm definitely a spiritual, religious person to some extent, but I do believe in God. And God's given me this platform, that this mission to, to help others, to provide them with motivation and, and resiliency for their own life from what I've been through. 
Yeah, and Jamie, you, you talk about being such an inspiration in so many aspects of your life. And I know that you, you know, you also have another aspect of your life as a teacher where, you know, you inspire kids every day. So I just wanted to know a little bit about, you know, how you got into teaching and what it's like, you know, being in the classroom. Because um, that, you know, is just a, another facet that is so interesting to me that you've done all these great things in your life. And you're also able to help out, you know, the youth of this country, which I think is such a great thing. Yeah, thank you, Xander. Um, so I've always wanted to be a teacher, and I have actually two bachelor's degrees. So I have a degree, under, uh, undergraduate degree in child and family studies from Cal State Long Beach, and an undergrad degree from ASU in communication. And when I moved to California, I always wanted to teach, and I never got around to it. I never got my credential. I was busy having kids, uh, busy running. And then finally, when my daughter was about four years old, old, so about nine years ago, I told my husband I really wanted to go back to school. He said, go for it. So I went to night school for almost a year, earned my credential, finished up my student teaching in Garden Grove, California. And then I was proud. I was hired uh, almost seven years ago. So I work in Garden Grove Unified. I've worked in elementary school, and I love it. Um, I, I'm able to bring such a different perspective from the world into the classroom. And especially we have a running club on campus. So I get out there and I put my running legs, I run with the kids and I'm the first one to kind of bark at him as we're running around our school. Like, you know, if I'm doing this, I got no legs. You need to be moving faster. Yep. And especially the fifth and sixth graders that I'm relentless. I really push them and, um, and they give as much to me as I give to them because these kids really need that push in the right direction. And, you know, I think I saw, thought it was hard to be a kid. It's it's, oh, it's such a different world. I think every generation says that. But, you know, how quickly technology is just taking over everything and in so many good ways and in so many difficult ways. It definitely throws a monkey wrench in the dynamics of parenting and schooling. And, you know, I, I think it's great. We have one-to-one -one devices in my school, which is, you know, we have, which is great. But I also teach my kids how to work in themselves and how to have peer conversations and how to problem solve and how to look at someone in the eye when you're talking to them and using please and thank you. You know, all the general rules that make society such a beautiful place to be, I believe, is under my teaching umbrella, too. All those social interactions that are so important. Yeah, and a lot of things you say, I, it's like uh, I'm hearing it again. My parents always instilled that in me, and, and the gift of giving, and especially with knowledge and everything that comes from being a teacher is absolutely incredible. And your giving is even further beyond teaching. And you brought this up with the Warriors with Hope, which you started. Your second annual tourney is coming up October 7th at Seacliff Country Club in Huntington Beach, right down the street from me, actually. Um, uh, we're, we're super excited to talk about this. I was kind of hoping you'd go into like last year's experience and then kind of the the whole event and what it, what it is. Yeah. So, um, so this will be our second annual Warriors with Hope golf tournament. So last year, um, we got some corporate sponsorships and we were sold out 144 golfers. Um, Vince Ferragamo, who's a retired NFL player, um, Jesse Sapulu, uh, Tito Ortiz, uh, well, he was retired, but I guess he's fighting again, a local MMA guy. Um, so we definitely had, you know, a few celebrities hanging around, but the community got, got behind us, rallied behind us. And, and the, the most incredible part of the evening is we were able to surprise a local cancer survivor. So Corey Zadrill, I know his mom from 24 hour fitness, Debbie, and he is, I think he just turned 14 or 15, but he is a three-time cancer survivor. And when he was younger, he went through chemotherapy and in the last couple of years he had to have a spine, a rod put in his spine. And due to that, he hasn't been able to play golf. 
Well, me not knowing when I approached Debbie to discuss this grant presentation, I didn't know Corey was a golfer. I just wanted to share with Corey because he fits the mission of our charity. What does he want to do? You know, what's he missing out due to, and how can we help him? And she's like, well, you know, can you get him golf lessons? And, and so with the support of Seacliff and Titleist, um, Corey had, we were able to bless him in so many ways. He actually was invited down to the private Titleist custom golf range in Oceanside and he got fitted with custom golf clubs. And we it was, it still is just gives me goose pimples everywhere because we surprised Corey. So the night after the golf tournament, we had a silent auction and a grant presentation and we got Corey golf clubs and a year worth of lessons and just, and then someone else bid on a golf club and they gave it to Corey during the auction time. And it just, the community really rallied around. So yeah, our second annual Warriors with Hope golf tournament, um, we're looking for a local grant presentation. We have a few ideas going on and, um, yeah, we love, it's going to sell out. We've already had, I think, uh, four foursomes have been purchased. You can go to our website, warriorswithhope.org and all the information's there. We provide you with a uh, breakfast lunch. Um, in the past we've provided everyone with dinner because we've had an evening event. This year we're changing it up. Um, the recommendation of Tim Sullivan, who is a big sponsor of ours, he's the CEO of Active PDF. Mm -hmm. He wanted us to separate the evening into two nights because a lot of people have a hard time coming to the golf tournament at the end of the day after work. And then the golfers, you know, we got we have a keg, we have a Bloody Mary bar. They've had a good day. And <laughs> keeping them there for 12 plus hours, it's hard. So, yeah, so with the suggestion of Tim, um, On the Rocks Bar and Grill in Garden Grove, uh, uh, Garden Grove, the city of Garden Grove has donated their facility, and we will be having a pre-golf dinner auction on Sunday. So anyone who is a paid golfer will get a ticket to our event that night, and that's where we'll have a grant presentation. We'll have some great signed items. we got some memorabilia signed by Tony Gonzalez, a retired NFL player who's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. We'll get a few things signed from some of the guys in Pearl Jam. Um, nice. I know my husband's – Yeah, we got it, – it's just like I said, we've been – the community has really rallied around, and, and I'm learning to get out of my shell and ask the people I know for help. And, um, and that's what my husband always reminds me, you know, you have this gift and, and everything you do is helping others. So, you know, you never know unless you ask. And so I'm listening to them, you know, it's better for someone to say not now, or maybe I can't. And because you never know, they could just say yes. And so that's what we're doing. And yeah, so it's going to be a great evening. You guys are local. You got to come by either Sunday or come golf with us on Monday. We'll, we'll take care of you. I was going to say, the event is everything I'd ever want. Golfing, a keg, a Bloody Mary bar, breakfast and lunch. I don't even eat dinner these days. Uh, <laughs> plus, it's all for such an amazing cause. I'm just curious. So what what is golf? Like, what was the decision to make this charity event a golfing charity event? And uh, do you have a connection with golf? Oh, yeah, that's such a great question. I don't, ironically. And it was my husband. So uh -huh. he is on our board of directors, and he is just a big go-getter. And he, through a common friend that we have, she introduced us to the committee over at Seacliff, which she actually works for a nonprofit called the Dream Street Foundation in Los Angeles. And I've worked with them over the years, too. And they do a big golf tournament at Seacliff. So even though they're in L.A., they do it here in Huntington. And so... Us being local, we went in there and with the GM, Robin Shelton, and at the time, uh, Victoria Tuzet used to work there. It just clicked. 
So this is actually our third time doing it. The first time we did it, it was just for me to help with some of my personal medical bills. And the charity wasn't officially approved. But yeah, C-Clip has gotten behind us and we've been going with it. And, and a huge shout out to Bonsai Bowls. They've come out um, the past two years and provided Bonsai Bowls in the morning as all the golfers are practicing and hanging out. So you can't beat that, right? Right. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. I'm going to have to go work on my golf game. I still can't drive the ball very well. I've got, I've got a decent iron game going right now, but uh, definitely can't drive it. I mean, this event, I'm super excited, and everyone listening should definitely go out and make your foursomes. It's the second annual Warriors with Hope tourney. It's October 7th at Sea Cliff Country Club in Huntington Beach. If you're in the California area, and if you're not in the California area, come take a trip. It's beautiful out here. Um, before well, let me like, tell you, Ethan, yes. yeah, real quick. Um, so I know you said, you know, you're just, you're long, you need to work on your drive a little bit, but it's a scramble. So the best oh. part is you're, you're in a group with three other people. So, <laughs> you know, you can kind of pick and choose like, Hey, what's your specialty? What's your specialty? And, you know, and it's definitely some healthy competition. We have some fun awards we provide and, um, you know, I've known Tito Ortiz a long time, like pushing 20 plus years. And, you know, God love that guy. He's like one of my brothers. And we differ on a lot of things, but we still have our friendship. But yeah, last year he brought some, I think, I don't know if the guy was semi-pro or kind of pro, but yeah, they swept everything. But, you know, it wasn't it wasn't from Tito golfing. It was from his team. So, you know, if you're hesitant, just find three buddies that you guys all excel in different areas and, you know, join, you know, you make up your foursome as a scramble. I was going to say, if Tito needs a putter, I'm, uh, I'm, I've been known for my mini golf game. So if, yeah, uh, there you he's go. looking for that guy, I'm, I'm the one. Uh, I'll before, pass along the word. Yeah, absolutely. Before we let you go today, you were at the ESPYs last night. We are a sports show, and we cover it all the time. I wanted your take on the biggest news this week in sports, and that is the women's national team winning the World Cup. It's an absolutely incredible feat. They're only the second team ever to go back-to-back at the World Cup, and I love everything about this team. I love everything they stand for. That parade was absolutely phenomenal. I love Megan Rapino. I just kind of wanted your take on their victory this year. I couldn't have said it any better. Um, I mean, it was it was life changing to watch and see what's happened in the life in the last month. Um, it's so important, you know. People get frustrated with athletes or even musicians using their platform to talk about their beliefs, and I think it's important. You know, these people are not politicians on purpose, but they, you know, are American citizens with voting rights. So I think it's absolutely important for for you to share what. What is what is necessary in the world and what you believe in and watching Megan speak and listening to her in this last week, um, her words are so true. I mean, equality between women and men and the respect and the love that is needed for all humankind is 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 needs to happen. And, and we need a wake up call in this country because we're being divided and we need to love. I mean, I remember in the past, you can always agree to disagree and you can walk away with different political beliefs with people, shake hands and still hug, but know that deep down inside you are a patriot. You are a strong American citizen. And I'm so afraid that that's getting lost, that that level of communication is being hindered by the, the dividing and the hate and, and the lack of empathy for those that are different. So I agree with you. It's been, it's been life-changing to live in this time and watch the thrill of women athleticism shine through in regards to the women's soccer player and see what they've done in the last two years. And they're just going strong. You know, I hope we have this conversation in one year from right now because it's incredible to watch them play. 
Yeah, and I'm expecting even more World Cup titles from them. This is a very young team. And like, right. you, sa- like you said, Megan's final words saying let's have more love and less hate could not resonate more in a time where we really need that to be the motto in the United States. Um, again, Xander and I, we cannot explain how much we appreciate you coming on the show today. It has been absolutely fantastic. And we'd love if you have any plugs or anything else you want to say, We'd love to let you do that right now. Um, and again, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, um, go. You know, hey everybody, thanks for taking the time to listen to the podcast today. It was great catching up with Xander and Ethan. Check out my website. I am Jamie. I a m j a m i dot com, and take a look over at warriorswithhope.org. We are changing lives through the through support and aid and everything we can get to amputees and cancer survivors that need need some hope in their life absolutely and we're going to post all of that on social media awesome thanks you guys it was so great talking to you have a fantastic afternoon thank you jamie appreciate it all right we'll talk soon take care boys What's up? Hope everybody enjoyed that interview with Jamie Marseille. She was absolutely incredible. It's probably the best interview we've done so far with anybody. And in terms of inspiration level, I don't think she'll ever be topped on the show. Yeah, I mean, Jamie, such a great person. You can just you can just tell um, how passionate she is about what she does. Talking about bringing people together, continuing to inspire every day. I mean, that message just resonated through each part of her story. You know, talking about running marathons, being a teacher, being involved um, with all these different foundations and events, you know, such an inspiration. And we are so lucky to have her on the show because I think everybody out there could take something from her story. And, you know, we're so thankful that she was able to join us. And, you know, hopefully we'll be back with a little World Cup talk with her the next time the U.S. women take it home. But again, just such an awesome experience getting to interview Jamie Roz. I know we both enjoyed it and wishing her the best of luck moving forward. Yeah, definitely. Please go check out her IamJamie.com. That is her website. And then for her event, October 7th, remember, it's the second annual Warriors with Hope Golf Tournament. Go to WarriorsWithHope.org. You can donate. If you don't live in California, you can just donate on the page. Please leave a donation. Um it would mean the world to us, and I know it would mean the world to her. She's she's so incredible, and she's absolutely deserving of it. So please go out and do that. Wits, we're heading into the weekend. We're uh, I, I know I'm gonna have some fun. I'm headed down to Phoenix. I don't know if you have any game plans. Um, any any parting thoughts from you this week? We did two episodes this week. Yeah, it was a pretty fun week. So yeah, looking forward to the weekend, and uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be a good time. Also, we have breaking news. Not the Russell Westbrook stuff, because we said we're not talking NBA the rest of time, or at least until the regular season starts. But we are releasing the song Mad Men by Zach, Z-A-K. Follow him at I'm Just Zach on Instagram. His new song hits the airwaves today. It is called Mad Men. And if you stay on after the outro, you're going to get an awesome, awesome song. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this interview. And everyone, go tweet. Go Instagram DM, do whatever you have to do to go tell Jamie how special she is because she was absolutely incredible. And we'll be back next week with Duye Dukin and another episode of Just Wits and Roz for you. Have a good one.
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.